Radio Mano Papachango. This is Dylan. Uh, just checking in from kilometer 32 on the West Coast Trail. Got a driftwood fire burning, listening to the waves just crash against the beach, waiting for the tide to roll in. Just wanted to say, keep doing what you're doing, man. The world needs to hear it. Um, unplug, get out in nature, and enjoy the little things. Take care. Hey Chris, this is Gary coming to you from Montreal, Canada. I uh, just wanted to let you know you have some fans up over here in French-speaking Canada as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've been listening to you from pretty much the beginning. And it's been great to feel part of this community that you've had built around the podcast. People have very varied interest in the, the people you bring you know, to, to the podcast every every time. It's just a, it's a great variety and a lot of diversity, a lot of knowledge that I think we all enjoy. Uh, I also caught you on Vox's show on Netflix a few days ago. It was a great appearance. And I've been having fun flipping through the tangentially reading book. I thought it was a great project, so it's great to hear that you have, uh, you know, other, other ones planned if they get transcribed into an audiobook and all that. So looking forward to the rest. Thanks again. Bye. Hello, this is Igor and his mum. We are traveling from Melbourne to Cairns on the road trip of a lifetime and we have, we're having an epic adventure enjoying the wonderful, beautiful Australian coastline and meeting the, the wonderful, friendly communities along the coast of small towns and realizing that small town life is infinitely far more connected than city life can ever be. Love you, Chris, love you, Chris and love you all, the fans out there, wherever you are. Peace. Yeah, thank you, Igor and Mom, Gary and Dylan. Dylan didn't uh, specify it in his message, but he's on Vancouver Island. That's the West Coast Trail, I guess. Uh, so a couple of Canadians, a couple of Australians. Thank you guys out there in the world. It's such a strange, small, beautiful, interesting world. Uh, wonderful to know you're out there on the other side of this series of tubes that I'm talking into. Uh, this episode is a very special episode. This is one of those episodes where somebody famous is on the podcast. As you may have noticed, I don't reach out to famous people very often, uh, if ever, really. Um, it's either, it's usually friend of a friend situation, and that's exactly what this is. The guest, I don't mean to be teasing you, the guest is a guy named Aaron Ralston. You may not recognize the name, but you have certainly heard his story. Uh, he's the guy who was hiking in Utah in the Canyonlands, and a rock shifted and pinned his arm against the wall, and um, he was stuck there alone in the bottom of a slot canyon where nobody would ever find him. And he had a very, very intense 127 hours before he finally did the only thing he could do to save his life. Um, there was a film called 127 Hours starring James Franco directed by what the hell's that guy's name very interesting director oh I had it I had it a second ago I'm going to stop this and look it up until 
funny. As soon as I pressed the button to stop it, the name Danny Boyle came into my head. Memory's funny that way. Uh, I think like so many things in life, here's a tangent for you. I'm going to go off on a rant now. So many things in life, the key to success is not to try harder. It's to stop trying at all. And uh, those are the things that I tend to be good at. I think I'm I'm like I have negative power, negative discipline, negative like I'm not good at working real hard to get something done. I'm better at getting out of my own way to let something happen. I think I should have been an actor maybe because uh, I, I really relate when I'm listening to actors talk about um, just sort of letting go and, and letting the character um, possess you. I know exactly what they mean. Um, or maybe that's part of my frustration and not having really gotten into music as a, as a player is that when musicians talk about letting go and jamming and just letting the music flow through them, I know exactly what they're talking about. Um, anyway, what the hell does that have to do with Aaron Ross? Oh, memory. Yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to remember his name it was making me nervous and then I decided, fuck it, I'll, I'll, instead of making them listen to me try to remember his name, I'll, I'll stop this and I'll look up his name. And as soon as I stop trying, the name popped into my head. There's a mnemonic trick that someone taught me years ago, which is that when you're trying to remember something, you imagine a little man in a library and the library is your memory. It's your head. And it's funny, this might not work for people who grew up without ever going to libraries. I wonder if it's a, you know, a historical period that this will work for. But I grew up going to libraries. One of my favorite places in the world is libraries. And, uh, so you imagine this little man in the library and you say, yeah, I, I need to remember the name of the author of, you know, X or whatever. And then you imagine the little man saying, okay, I'll be right back. And he turns around and walks back into the stacks. And then you just forget about it. And you go on with the conversation. You go on with whatever you were doing and just pull your mind away from it. And the idea pops into your head a few minutes later. It's like the guy goes back into the library and finds it. And he finds it when he finds it. It's your anxiety around it that blocks the process of that memory bubbling up to the surface. So you think about things in life that where the key is to shut the fuck up or to calm the fuck down or to, um, you know, relax, whether it's relaxing your muscles or relaxing your personality, stop being competitive, stop trying to win, stop being afraid. Swimming is a great example of that, I think. I've taught several people how to swim and it always comes down to the same thing, which is that they're afraid because they're adults and they don't know how to swim. And so the water makes them nervous and, but their fear makes them tight and their tightness makes their movements uh, exhausting and their exhaustion makes them more afraid because they feel like they're going to sink and they can't, they're not going to survive. And so it ends up being this cycle of anxiety, which produces danger, which produces anxiety, which produces danger. And then you get into the spiral and there you go. So 
breaking that spiral requires taking control of your mind and making a deliberate decision not to be afraid. So that's not, uh, I, I wasn't planning to talk about that. That all came about because I couldn't remember Danny Boyle's name, the director of 127 Hours, starring James Franco, as today's guest, Aaron Ralston. But it's not totally inappropriate when you think about what Aaron has gone through and what that experience was like for him. It's maybe the greatest example ever of deciding or one of the greatest examples of anyone I've personally sat down with anyway, of of deciding to take control and to ignore a lot of voices in your head. The the voices of fear, the voices of fatalism, the, the voices of um, defeat, insecurity, all those negative voices, uh, which must have been very, very loud for him at certain points when he was down there at the bottom of that canyon by himself. The way this came about was that when we were in Colorado, a guy who listens to the podcast named David Mortner wrote uh, me an email and he said, hey, I'm the lead brewer at Telluride Brewing Company. If you get to Telluride, come on by. Uh, I'd love to show you the, you know, how we brew beer. And so Cassie and I um, cruised up there and met David and checked out the Telluride Brewing uh, Company, which is super cool, very Grateful Dead-oriented place. A lot of their beer lines are associated with the dead and different songs and albums and characters. Delicious beer. David hooked us up. He filled up our water tank with the the hyper triple-filtered mountain Colorado water, and we were just savoring that for a week or so while we were showering and drinking that water anyway totally hooked us up great guy and as we were leaving he said hey you know i'm actually friends with a guy named aaron ralston you might know you know he cut his arm off to you know what blah 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 and would you be interested in having him on the podcast and i was like fuck yeah of course if if he's into it you know i don't want to invade the guy's privacy and that's a very intimate kind of experience and i don't you know i don't want to uh have him feeling like it's some sort of a circus show and you know hey tell me about the you know it's like it's not that kind of vibe i don't want to exploit anybody or exploit their pain or exploit anything um but I said, talk to him if, you know, tell him about the podcast. If he's into it, I'd certainly be into it. And I, I don't know if, if Aaron talks about this on the podcast or not. We talked about it at some point during our conversation, maybe off mic. But in any case, he apparently, after he heard from David, he checked out the the webpage and he looked back in the archives and he saw that um, a friend of his had been on the podcast, uh, Calla Rose. She's an environmentalist originally from uh, Colorado. I remember she was living here in Topang. I think she's moved back to Colorado at this point. But uh, he knew her from way back in the day, and he listened to that conversation, and he liked the the vibe of it, and so he agreed to do this. He's, you know, got a major Hollywood film about his life. He He's a motivational speaker. He I guess he goes to corporations and um, shares his experiences there. And uh, he certainly doesn't have anything to gain from being on the podcast. It's not about, you know, 
spreading his name more, getting famous or, you know, whatever. He did it because he liked the vibe and and he likes the, you know, the tone. And he and I guess the people who are listening seem like his kind of people. And I think he's right about that. So once again, I have you to thank for all this stuff. In addition to the people who are paying for diesel and upkeep on the van, you lovely, wonderful Patreon supporters, um, I'm going to read a couple of your names. These are people who have just signed up on Patreon in the last few days. Um, I'm pulling up the webpage now, and here we go. All right, and I have to some of the I, on the uh, the thing the notification page it shows the deletions on the same list, so I don't want to read that because there are deletions. People leave, people come, people go. Anyway, people who've come recently: uh, Matt Lyons, Rob Blau, thank you, Rudy, uh, Pedro M. Caballero Lozano. All right, uh, Marisa Fisher, thank you, uh, Christina Tambor. Now, most of these are, you know, people throwing in a buck, two bucks. Uh, here's Andrew, uh, upped his donation from 250 to five a month. Thank you very much. Paul Lemley, uh, Daniel, uh, Nate, you're wondering why I'm saying first names and some and others. That's just the way they appear, I guess, however you put your name. Uh, ben Downs, I got a really nice email from Ben recently. Um, Jim Fagora. Hey, Jim, I think I played Jim's song last time. Hey, Jim, thank you. Uh, David Blumenthal, Thomas Lloyd Qualls increased his donation. So I really appreciate all of these. Uh, if I don't read your name, please don't be offended. It's just that I didn't think of it or I don't want to bore people by reading too many names, as you can imagine. But all of you make this whole thing possible by helping finance the van, helping finance the free time, helping finance those breakfasts at Denny's, et cetera. And so I really appreciate all the, the help that you send through Patreon. Uh, I also appreciate those of you who use my Amazon affiliate link on my webpage, chrisryanphd.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com. You'll see the Amazon affiliate link there. Anything you spend on Amazon, a small percentage kicks back my way. Uh, also appreciate those of you who throw some cash into the PayPal account. There's a donation button on the webpage. So there are lots of ways to support the podcast financially. Also, the reviews on iTunes are very helpful, uh, help people see that there's a sizable audience. So when a guest is considering whether to bother with this or not, that's one of the things they look at. And uh, when they see the enthusiasm and the number of reviews, I think that's uh, that helps people decide that it's worthwhile to come on the podcast. So thank you very much for your support, however you express it. I also want to take a minute to thank uh, everybody who's sent um, emails, uh, condolences, and so on uh, about my dad. I, I really appreciate it. Um, some of you who've ordered T-shirts or the Tangentially Reading Book or whatever, stickers and beer cozies and all that stuff that we have on uh, on the website, I have put little notes in there to my mom. That's super, super cool. She loves that. Um, and I uh, just don't want to dwell on it, but we're doing okay. Thank you. I think uh, everybody's doing fine. And, um, you know, nobody's in denial. And my mom is, and my sister and I are all just, uh, you know, we're focused on 
what we're grateful for having had, not for what we've lost. And uh, loss happens all the time, every day. So if you're aware of that, I think that uh, there's no surprise. There's no tragedy. Everything, everyone, you know, as Carsey Blanton sings, every damn episode of this podcast, everyone you've ever known is heading for a headstone, and that's just the way it is. So if you're not in denial about that, when it happens, it's it doesn't have that punch. At least that's my experience. Um, I don't mean to impose that experience on anyone else, but it's been a little over, it's been 10 days, I guess, a little over a week. And yeah, so far so good. So thank you for your, your thoughts and prayers if you pray, but uh, I think everybody's doing fine. All right. What else? Podcasts uh, that I recommend. I know if you're out there listening to this, you are someone who listens to podcasts. I would recommend, uh, I think I probably already said this, but Joe Rogan's episode with Chuck Palahniuk was fantastic. And I'm about uh, an hour into his conversation with Elon Musk, uh, which you've probably heard about because Elon sparked up a joint and turned into a big international incident. Uh, but that's a really good, good conversation. Very interesting. Uh, I, you know, you got to, it's funny. I was texting with Joe last night and one of the things he says to Elon is like, dude, how do you get so much done? Like there are only 24 hours in a day. You're, you know, you're building rockets, you're doing the cars, you're doing this tunneling thing. You're like, I don't understand how you, how you produce so much in so little time. And I was saying to Joe, like, dude, that's how we think about you. That's how normal people think about you. Like, how do you get so much done? You know, it's, it's like this sort of exponential relationship here. Um, anyway, it's a really good conversation. It's, uh, it's just two, two dudes talking and as counterintuitive as it sounds, like one of the things I admire the most is someone in a very, uh, abnormal life context who manages to maintain normalcy. And it's something I admire about Joe. And after, you know, checking out that conversation, I, I admire Elon for that as well. And, you know, again, exponentially harder. Uh, there's a lot of attention on Joe and he manages to keep it together and be a regular dude. And, uh, and Elon seems to be doing pretty well at that. Maybe, you know, there's a lot more pressure on him, obviously, but uh, it's, a, it's a hell of a thing to be able to just keep your shit together and be a normal dude when everyone around you is treating you like you're something else. All right, that's enough talking for me. I'm going to play you into this conversation with Aaron Ralston. Um, this is a tune called Sometimes. And uh, the artist is Daniel Lenoir. I think I've played something by him before, probably. He's not that well known as a musician. Uh, he's known primarily as a producer. I think he produced Joshua Tree, the U2 record. I think um, maybe one of the Red Hot Chili Pepper records. Uh, I don't know. Look him up. He's he's well known as a producer. Uh, he also did the soundtrack to a very interesting, bizarre film called Swing Blade. Um, some fantastic, very sort of atmospheric, 
um, music in that film. Anyway, this song is called Sometimes, and uh, I find it to be a very, it's a very complete feeling that it produces in me. There's nostalgia, there's gratitude, there's longing, there's um, comfort. It's all there for me. And uh, so I hope you find a similarly rich experience when you listen to this tune, Sometimes by Daniel Lenoir. Sometimes, sometimes Sometimes I feel like I'm playing on the radio Sometimes I feel like I'm on a traveling road show Sometimes I got the power of the will And I know my song is gonna be alright Sometimes I feel like I'm on a freight train Forever rescued by the mystery rain Sometimes I'm just out for a thrill She always said, baby, you're gonna be alright the sun gonna come shining down Push it all away, make it all right Sometimes in the heart of a long cold night It's all too far Out of sight, out of sight Hard to know everything's gonna be all right Everyone thinks you got everything you want Hard to have and then have not Hard to have in heaven Sometimes I want to take a pill and hide Sometimes I want to shut down and ride And go where no man should go Go where no man should go Go where no man should go Could it be, ever really be alright? Alright ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting in Aaron Ralston's kitchen uh, in Boulder, Colorado. Thank you. Yeah, coming right back from the wilderness and two days up really? in the mountains. And, you know, so yeah, I... Uh, I'm, I'm glad it came together, but very spontaneously. Yeah, the small window, and your son's coming in a couple hours, so yeah. I had to make it work this morning. So thank you for that. And we're both sort of groggy, I think. Uh, my, my pleasure, too. I, I appreciate the chance. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for the conversation. Thanks. Thanks, man. Um, you know, coming over here, I was thinking, you know, obviously I didn't have much time to prepare, and to be honest, I rarely mm-hmm. prepare anyway. Um, but I was thinking how unique it is you know, to be talking to someone who the thing that made you a public figure is simultaneously traumatic mm-hmm. and at least as seen from outside, kind of heroic. Does that complicate things for you? Have you ever thought how, because for example, I have people on the podcast who 
were in Iraq or Afghanistan yeah. and have suffered PTSD or are suffering PTSD. Right. But it's and it's always complicated. But in your case, people are like, I don't know, like clapping you on the shoulder, like good job, man. And yet, <laughs> yeah. at the heart of it is very deep suffering. In a sense, uh, and, and I'll only I'll only pause just on on because of that word choice about suffering that it was painful, it was intense, um, and yet to me there wasn't suffering in, involved with it, and, and that's a distinction that I think comes from more a sense of of the acceptance that I found while I was there, uh, trapped even even during even the, before that time, you, yeah, um, because. Of, during that time, I basically died. I went through the the psychological process of of dying, and then to come out of it on the other side, having already gone through the acceptance of it, and and finding the peace that comes in that in those very late stages of yeah. of, of of even my own self grieving while I was there, that uh, indeed there there was there was trauma but it was more the trauma of the of the initial experience and it was almost i i i know this word to say that i was you know, rebirthed or or that I, I i got my life back that 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 was more of um that was what i got from right. it and so it's um I, I like to say, you know, yeah, people know me as the guy that cut his arm off, but what you don't know is that I'm the guy who was smiling when he cut his arm off. And uh, that's the the hook, maybe the twist that, yeah. that gives me this perspective that yes, the trauma, but, um, and I also I understand the, the fascination uh, that people have, have you know, given this, that uh, that they have with the my experience and, um, and because I think that that comes from this uncertainty, we live in, in the experience of uncertainty, and we we really we long for something that that gives us something to to hold on to or to grasp or to say like oh look, like the examples or the role models or the the things that are ironclad, the laws of fit physics, you know, yeah. the things that are un unbendable, and 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 yet um, I I guess I can empathize with that. We all need that, and. And I also want to humanize it too, to say that I'm not some other, that this is in all of us. And what my experience was uh, is, is something that if I can use it for positive, for good, that it's to show for all of us that our boulders in our lives can also simultaneously be our greatest blessings. Mm -hmm. And that's the message that I have from this, that I, that I share, that I, I spend my time public speaking and some of that but that it's to to say as we all encounter trauma in our lives these adversities challenges i mean that is what life is and yet we are also problem solvers we are the the entities that get to take this and then turn it to our advantage to take it for an opportunity to learn some lesson from it to experience a a gift out of even uh the the grandest hardships that life has to offer um and I had that from my time 15 years ago when all of this took place in that slot canyon in Utah. And I still experience it today in my life uh, as I go through having two young kids, but also having uh, you know, the relationships with their mothers that involve several layers of attorneys in several different states. And mm -hmm. so there's, uh, there's nothing though that provides the clarity 
uh, of the importance of something as adversity does. When when something is threatened, when it's when you're when you feel like you're going to lose something, it becomes very clear about what's important to you. Mm. And that that was one of those gifts. While I was trapped, I got out my video camera and I held it in front of me, and for a period, of usually only a few minutes at a time, but hour after hour, day after day of looking into that lens and talking with the most important people in my life. My mm. mom, my dad, my sister, my friends, uh, my extended family, and and to speak with them about um, what I was grateful for, what I was, what I regretted, uh, the the experiences of that had stuck with me uh, from this life because I'm looking at this. This is my will and testament. This is my goodbye. So, so this is before is, you, before it had occurred to you that you could cut your arm off and get away or before you thought you could do it or. Um, it was, it was after I had it very early on occurred to me that I could try to amputate my arm, that that was going to be the only thing that was going to get me out of there. Other brainstorms that I had, everything else failed. Uh, but so did that. I, I ended up with the, stuck with the problem that the knife that I had was too dull to cut through the bone in, in my arm. And therefore, uh, how can you get out if you, with a knife that's too dull to cut through your bone? You can't, yeah. you can't. And so I was saying my goodbyes. Within 24 hours, I was out of options. I knew I, I couldn't get free. No one was going to find me. I, um, I couldn't survive. Uh, and therefore, okay, it's over. Now, starting to, to move forward through that to, well, what is there to do that's left? And that's, it's to have this chance as I, as I did to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, but that was in a way, as soon as I turned that camera on and I looked through that lens and, and I, I started speaking first to my parents, um, to say, I love you and I'm sorry, uh, I love you, <laughs> that it was the very same moment that the that experience, that boulder, in fact, actually gave me the first gift of mm. that, that, that that was where it turned. Mm. Um, and, and that's where I, I think in trying to make this as the metaphor that I do, that, yeah. that it opens up, um, say, even in, in this moment where I'm going through you know, custody disputes, that yet what does that prove to me? That that's how important <laughs> the relationship with my kids yeah. is to me that, that okay, well, what else am I working for at this point? Like, yeah, the if every dollar I, I earn from now, you know, in the next 15 years goes to paying attorneys, that that that's, you know, that's in a way this gift that I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. And what's it for? It's to have the relationship with, with my daughter and my son. And that that's, um, yeah, that's the greatest blessing that, that I could ask for. Mm -hmm. Especially because what I, I really took from the experience in the canyon was that life isn't just about what you do, it's about who you are and how mm -hmm. you relate with, with other people, especially the people closest to you. So how, how, how do you love? And that, um, that I know is, is another one of these little twists that I like to, to present for people that they might admire this, this theoretical will to live that they think that I was displaying, um, some resilience or grit or determination. Like, you never gave up. Well, no, in fact, I did. I gave, mm. I gave up plenty of times. <laughs> and, and yet what persists beyond that is it's not the will to live, it's the will to love. Mm. That that's what actually saw me through, especially by the, the final night that I was there. Um, I mean, I'd lost 
almost 40 pounds uh, over the six days that I was there. Mm-hmm. These five nights that dropped down to 40 degrees. Yeah, and I'm shorts and a t-shirt dressed like this, and and just shivering convulsively out of water for uh for uh, i had one liter uh when i became trapped and and then i was recycling like a good environmentalist (laughs) right another thing some people say i could never do that yeah "Yeah, yes you could yeah Yeah, you never know till you try but then yeah it's it's actually as horrible as you think that it would be um and and yet that I wasn't, you know, surviving by drinking my own urine. What I was surviving on was was looking through the lens of that camera, mm. of, of sustaining the relationship, the connection that I have. Because I think we we think of hell, you know, the being this like hot, crowded place, of the, you know, fiery furnace of the you know, souls of the damned, and 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 yet, like, what it really is is isolation. Mm. It, it was the cold, dark isolation of the bottom of that canyon mm. and especially in the nights yeah. um, and and feeling like that I could just be a brain in a vat being stimulated <laughs> by electrical signals and that all of this has been some kind of you know, experiment uh, by some oh, you know, right. you're you're the multiverse matrix. scientist you right. know right yeah, the matrix. teenagers <laughs> fucking with you yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and yet yeah. The, that delusion that's that's right there at the at the edge is is only combated by the by connection it's yeah. it's the it's that love is the antidote to, to depression connection is 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 that antidote to that isolation and 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 that's what carried me through such that by the time it was the final night and I was ready to die and I had even etched my epitaph in the wall of the canyon there that I I had an experience probably the most mystical experience of my life and I'm not someone I feel like that's prone to these things but you know extenuating circumstances I, I had a vision of um, what would become my my son my future child and I had this interaction with him where for probably no more than 20 seconds of real time there in the canyon but I left I stepped free of the rock I was in a living room I was I scooped up this three and a half year old child who came running to me you know with his eyes and exp- exclaiming dad let's play and we bounced around together and and then in the next moment it was gone I was still there I was still trapped but I had had this this experience there very real to me that said I'm going to get out of here I'm going to get through this I'm going to eventually someday see that little boy and and that that connection that's that that will to love that got me through to the the next morning that I had said I wasn't going to see in the epitaph I had had etched April uh, of 2003 and the next morning was May. And it occurred to me, like, okay, well, now what? Like, you know, scratch it <laughs> yeah. out, right? Start over with that. Yeah. No wonder your knife was so dull, man. <laughs> so, yeah. It, yeah. Wow. It touches on these, these much larger themes. And, yeah. and, and what I've tried to do with it is to take it as this, this gift to me, that that experience, such as it was, was this gift to me personally, and then to share it with others. So that yeah. they, you know, when... I mean, we're all going through it. It's everywhere. It's it's you know, diagnoses and death and disease and politics and the yeah. uh, the the stresses of you know, addictions and depression and just divorce. Yeah. Like it's it's all out there in every corner of our lives and and at every step we take, we we run into these headwinds, if not hurricanes. Um, 
and and so we we need this uh, yeah. I think collectively and and if I what I can do is to put something out there to to help people a little bit or maybe give somebody hope or help them remind themselves about what's inside of them uh, I feel like that that's what it was all for yeah that that's I mean you said it all so beautifully and and I agree with everything you've said and yet I still wonder for you on a personal level like if I were your buddy and I've known you your whole life watching you go through this like I saw you on David Letterman I think it was mm-hmm. you on David Letterman uh, yeah, yeah. and you were goofing <laughs> around you had totally. the artificial hand yeah. spinning the cup and all that <laughs> right um and then the movie came out and there's mm. celebrity and all this stuff and uh I can never remember the actor who played mm. you what's his name uh, James Franco James Franco right, right. Yeah. um it for me I would I would worry about my buddy like that the the that there's something personal and you know you describe the loneliness of being in the canyon and the hell is being alone there i think in in trauma there's a loneliness and i wonder if and i don't mean to get into your personal stuff i'm not trying to mm-hmm. you know um bring up anything negative here but i i i wonder how the celebrity and all the hullabaloo around this could have interfered with your ability to process some real heavy shit that you went through. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's like when people, somebody wins a lottery and everybody's, oh, you're so lucky, you're so lucky. That's really traumatic, actually, to win a lottery, you know? And not to say what happened with you is winning a lottery, but well, the, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's exactly the opposite of that. And I think like um, there's a, a research study that actually tracked uh, the, like, the subjective well-being of, of lottery winners yeah. and said that like, it's not you're so way better off becoming a paraplegic in terms of your yeah. long-term happiness in your mm-hmm. life than you are of winning the lottery because of our ability to adapt and, and process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yes, there was a lot of uh, attention and, uh, and yet opportunity too that came. Yeah. I mean, companies wanted me to write a book and then to make it into a movie and yeah. you know and eventually I would go on to do all those things in time but I did have I mean first off the time in the canyon such that when I stepped out of there it was not of having felt like I lost something but rather of having gained something so you'd already and, really gone through the process yeah before you came out before and I ever stepped out of there or, yeah that's and, amazing and and that's in some ways, it was a gift of that experience that yeah. I got to have that time to go through all of that processing yeah. while I was there, and then to come out of it, as I said, that it was truly one of the greatest experience of my life. And that's the, that was the attitude I had about it, even as I was still in the canyon, and then especially during the escape, and, and to have all of this, this possibility. That yeah. was the emotion of the moment when I finally severed the last piece of skin to get my myself free yeah. to liberate myself it was the emotion of possibility in how, how did you get through the bone then did you just break your arm so yeah that was the final like logistically that was the the solution yeah. that only occurred to me in the very final minutes of of being there was that oh Aaron you don't have to cut the bone use the boulder break the bone had you and already cut into your skin at that point I'd been able to stab myself but uh, I'd, I only to then realize and actually that's the scar that's here on the top of my arm right I, I on the third day stabbed myself and then as I was probing around gathering information I'm like well yeah. what am I up against it here and as the knife touched 
know, something hard inside. I'm like, oh, the bone, and how can I do that? No, it's impossible. Um, so I, w- I was still trying over the over the days, um, but I was also understanding that that it was it was impossible. At least the way I was framing it. Yeah. Now, thankfully, by the time I actually figured it out, the sixth day, that that coincided with this unbeknownst to me rescue operation that's that's going on outside uh spearheaded by my mom uh involving rescuers from several states uh multiple counties inside of utah and and eventually uh, even a helicopter which would play the pivotal role in plucking me out of the canyon getting me to the hospital when i had just minutes left to live mm. um, after what was almost a seven mile hike that i had to do after freeing myself so this saga went on and on yeah and and um and and yet it was with the again i want to say the emotional framework of if it being a gift like i've got my life back anything that's possible the 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 pleasures the the happinesses the joys that that life Mm -hmm. um has yet to bring uh were all right there in that moment and and so that's when i talk about the the smile that i was especially as i got through um, you know, I broke the the bone and then realized that I, like, I can do this. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get back. I'm going to get a hug from my mom. I'm going to you know, someday see that that little boy that I had a vision yeah. of. Uh, it, it, all of this is just flooding through me. I, I realized that, oh, there's there's actually a second bone. And, and like, okay, so... And, it's <laughs> always repeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But as I, I'm, like, I get through the second bone, the smile gets bigger. Oh. And even as I have to sever the nerve, that there was 30 seconds or so where... And just the most intense, like, vaporizing sensation that I... That, um, like, I thrust my arm into a cauldron of liquid metal mm-hmm. uh, just it, that incinerating my arm up to my shoulder but then a couple of deep breaths and as I opened my eyes it, that was the biggest smile that I'll ever smile in mm. my life I, I threw it yeah and mm. so there there certainly was process that happened later on because five surgeries a month in the hospital 11 days in ICU the it was uh, uh, there was depression that was behind that because I was on like 18 pills of narcotics yeah. uh, every day just to, to manage the pain, which left me in a total grogged out state. But there was no connection. I, I opened my eyes. All I would experience would be pain, take more pills. And even with my parents sitting in the hospital room with me, that it was like, whoa, this was the life that I fought so hard to get back to. Mm. So th- mm. the transition before I was healthy again, that that was yet more time processing, yeah. rebuilding, regaining my health. And then to realize, oh, this means something. I was getting cards in the, in mm. the hospital and, uh, from you know, a grandmother in Seattle who had said that her husband had passed away the year before and she was planning on using his leftover sleeping pills to kill herself on the anniversary of his death if she hadn't gotten over it. And yet then in reading People magazine and seeing the story about this hiker in Utah that cut his arm off, that she said that it had shown her what was worth living for in her life and that it was her grandkids. Mm. And that she said um, on that that morning of the anniversary of, of her husband's passing that she flushed those pills down the toilet and that uh, she credited me in, in my experience with having saved her life. Uh, and wrote this card to me and I, and I understood that 
again, this wasn't just for me as much as it had been and for my family, and, mm. but it, it, it had much broader meaning and purpose behind it. And so for the, you know, as human beings, as, uh, we, we need that, that meaning and that purpose. We create it when we don't have it. Uh, and to have the knowledge that this could be a legacy then to continue to help people, uh, I I think my friends. I mean, if if there was a concern there, <laughs> that uh, it was kind of like, oh no, this this is only going to encourage Aaron. <laughs> Maybe he's not really going to learn anything from this. <laughs> and there was part of that. I mean, for for a few years afterwards, that, huh. that it's like, well, if that didn't kill me, what could? And yeah. uh, there were even in some ways larger uh, risks, broader uh, challenges that I mm. undertook for myself, trying to prove. And again, I think a fairly universal experience of. Of, of the feeling of inadequacy that we mm, that we deal yeah. with, feeling like we're not good enough, and especially then, oh, I was a very capable person, um, and and had undertaken some, uh, I would say, fairly elite mountaineering projects, and then like, okay, can can I finish that? And to prove that I'm still good enough, that I am capable to finish, as we have these fourteen thousand foot high mountains in Colorado. Um, to climb them all in the wintertime solo, which was something that had never been done before. There are 59 of these mountains, some of the most dangerous and remote mountains that we have in the United States. And so now with one hand, uh, and I did finish that. And, and yet standing on the top of that last summit of that project, I, I understood that isn't now a good time to start implementing some of those lessons. Remember what you learned in the canyon? that it's not just about what you do, it's about who you are, how mm. you relate. And I'm still working on it. I mean, just, you know, it's like, just ask my ex-wife, like, <laughs> that I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm still in this practice of, of doing what I, I can to, yeah, to, to help myself through this, uh, to help others, to build on relationship in my life, especially with my kids being a major focus for me. And having great friendships. And, yeah. How um, old are you? So uh, forty-two now. Forty-two. Uh, yeah. This was all. I was twenty-seven at the time, and um, it was in the midst of a, a pretty large transition in my life. I'd been a mechanical engineer uh, with Intel Corporation for five years, and living in the, like, the the confines of this corporate experience, and then saying like, "That's not for me. I can't do this. Uh, mm. I I need something that's that's more my lifestyle to fit my passions and and who I am." I, I quit uh, that career. Um, and I moved to Aspen. I wanted to become a mountain guide and take people out to see what was inside of them through the kind of crucible of, of you know, the mountains around Aspen and these experiences. Uh, and, and yet what I've then, you know, kind of flipping that on its head was, well, what I'm doing is taking this experience of, of nature of the wilderness and showing it to people to help them find what's inside of themselves but on a much more massive scale it's the same vision mm. that i had for my life yeah, yeah. but just like oh Magnified. Kind of, you know yeah. watch what you ask for sort of a thing. <laughs> like, yeah. be careful what you wish did you grow up around the mountains <laughs> uh in denver for middle school and high school right. uh, skiing mostly right. I, I mean i was in uh yeah i was in college before i uh 
um, had climbed my first 14er in, in the summertime, mm. uh, but just within a few years, like I decided a normal, rational yeah, person. Yeah, like a half million people every year go out and do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I, I, out of in some ways, this sense of like, well, what am I here for? What, what's um, what's my purpose and this on this planet? And and I came up with this project idea to the 14ers in the wintertime solo and 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 yet it was very ego driven so the project started before your your do you call it yeah. an accident incident what do you how i do think you more it? more incident, incident i mean that, yeah. that i i have to say that i came to understand while i was trapped that i had created that right in in so many choices and ways that mm. uh, from having read stories about other people's uh, misadventures especially like some of john krakauer's books right. uh, about chris mccandless into, into the, the wild, wild yeah. Right? yeah that what would i have done if that had been me or if yeah. it was me up on the side of mount everest in the storm yeah uh, am i the in guy in there yeah, you know, yeah. You know, am i left for dead do i uh do i go back into the storm do i uh, to rescue others do i stay huddled with my my group and my client perishes and then i die too because yeah. i stayed with them i mean all of these different um sub stories out of that and, and asking these questions what am I made of what am I capable of who am I and realizing okay well then this is how I, I find out hmm. and, and I thought it was going to be through the the 14ers right. <laughs> the climbing in the winter and it ended up well that that prepared me for then the ultimate answer to those questions yeah. down in the canyon that's interesting so you were already seeking some sort of self-defining experience in a pretty extreme way looking for it yeah we all are but but yeah i realized i don't know if we all are i think a lot of us are running from it you know i mean some people go out looking for it but i think a lot of people are huddled in security and predictability and trying to avoid those experiences Hmm. so you know you'd already made this decision as a lot of young men do but not all Mm -hmm. i'm going to go out and face the monster and see what happens and it came and slapped you upside the head when you weren't expecting it you weren't on yeah. a mountaintop you no, weren't climbing a mountain supposed to be a walk in the park this was a <laughs> exactly. vacation you know, a spa exactly. day more or less <laughs> exactly that's great you ever read yeah. desert solitaire of course yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. when you were yeah. mentioning crack hours thinking about that you know in utah and some mm-hmm. of the uh yeah misadventures that that he that edward abbey recounts down there yeah, and, and one of the—I mean, one of my favorite—well, um, his meditations. I like when they go out looking for the the, the individual who's gone missing and the and dead they, man at yeah. Yeah. Horse Point or something. Yeah, Dead Horse Point. Right? Dead Horse Point. Yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. It, it, that there's uh, these some of these other anecdotes uh, about. I mean, he gets into it about mortality, and, yeah. and then like the the rabbit that's being chased by the fox until uh, just the the anxiety that it experiences until finally when the fox actually catches the rabbit that it it succumbs and it can mm. finally relax to release. And yeah, and and so like having gone through something of uh, I mean, those those same sort of oscillations, uh, the the tension and the release uh, there in the canyon, and, and understanding I think in in a in a deeper way than I previously did about mortality and about life and uh and and yet i think i fall back into the same uh, maybe traps if 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 that's the mindset uh, as it is uh, of trying to seek and create certainty and security and Mm. to and you know to fence out or wall off in in ways and uh to be 
controlling or rigid. I mean, it's it's still part of who I am, and and in yeah. and in ways, the opportunities that came from this experience, creating a business and having uh, financial success in, in in a large degree in my life, that I've I've also understood. Yeah, there's. Uh, that that's not where the happiness is and yeah. that it's it's also not where the adventure in life is it that the adventure comes from the the seeing through of the uncertainty mm. and the to experience the tension so that you do you know come through to the the release that it's when there's not challenge in life that we elect to create it um, at least I've found that that is something that I also I do <laughs> for myself. Create drama. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, in, in a way, in order to experience, uh, like, yeah, in order to experience maybe the the, the broader breadth of what yeah. life is, right? Um, and, and so it's to to welcome it, to to mm. embrace it when the boulders fall and they come, and they are always going to. So, what do you have left but to make the choice about how you respond? Yeah, and that that's that's what I would would wish for myself and for others that we can instead of resisting wishing away mm. uh, complaining yeah or, or resigning or mm. or, or completely it, it, it's to embrace it's to yeah. welcome yeah and, and that's uh, a, a challenge like again that's the practice that's the goal I'm, I'm hardly a fully enlightened yeah. <laughs> you know, individual yeah. but, but I, I still am striving and seeking uh, in some ways yeah. the same as that you know, guy in my mid-twenties that I was um, but I hope that it's less about the the ego at this point and more uh, more about something that's that's more meaningful yeah um, yeah yeah are you familiar with Kubler-Ross Elizabeth Kubler-Ross no, um, um, it's interesting it's, you've referred oh. to stages of grief several times she, oh, she yeah. wrote this book called On Death and Dying um, mm. I think in the 70s and uh, yeah, the the stages that she identified are denial. So these are the stages that people go through when they're given a terminal diagnosis um, in her research of, of dying people. But I've found that I think we go through these stages when anything dies. Our relationship, you get you know a job that you wanted that you get fired from whatever a death of anything so denial is the first right like no the test results must be wrong it can't possibly be you know then there's anger mm. it's not fair um you know i i'm a vegetarian how can this happen to me and then there's bargaining mm. okay from now on i'll do 20 push-ups every hour for the rest of my life and then there's depression mm. and then there's yeah. acceptance and I mean, do you think, did you go through those stages in the canyon? Does, do those oh, sound familiar yeah. to you? For sure, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say that uh, some went pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, denial, denial. The, the shock was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. was, was like over in a couple of minutes, but, yeah. but it, was, it was the, the yeah. like, how could this have happened? And, yeah. and, um, and, and then understanding very quickly that uh, I'm, gonna die here yeah. uh, and then it was yeah anger I mean I spent an hour 45 minutes maybe almost an hour I wasn't exactly checking my watch but yeah. the, the, the very beginning of uh, of the entrapment was just this brute force response to like the adrenaline and yeah, pushing it's fighting. I mean I was yeah. literally like 
macking, punching, and cursing at that rock. Yeah. Uh, as if that was going to help in yeah. some way, but right, <laughs> yeah. anger. Yeah. <laughs> and realizing, okay, no, breathe. I have to c- regain some modicum of control here, engage my higher brain function, yeah. like brainstorm, problem solve. This is what I'm built to do. Do it. You're an engineer. It's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of my Apollo 13 moment, right? Where yeah. it's like, we have to build them an oxygen filter here. <laughs> this is what they have. Dump yeah. it out on the conference table. Yeah. Go. <laughs> And Ryan so I'm emptying out my backpack and I'm thinking through what can I do? Yeah. I can I use the batteries from my camera to try to you know, break open the, the cartridges and let the battery acid eat through the sandstone. Oh, I mean, just you're like, getting Star Trek, yeah, man. Right? I mean, there are some bad ideas. Yeah. Like the, the, <laughs> you got you to gotta think about but, them, though. You know, and then yeah. as you describe, like, you know, the, there was yeah, depression, but for me, what, what I... I experienced that and and I used it to then turn it into the the goodbyes. I yeah. mean that that's it, I tried to turn it into the gratitude which which was in ways but the acceptance like I'm, yeah. I'm going to die here no one's coming for me I haven't told anyone where I've gone I'm by myself I can't get myself out of here and so I, I definitely I, I wasn't familiar with the the researcher who came up with this, but yeah, the the stages of grief. Of, it's amazing. Yeah. It's it's kind of a universal. I found mm-hmm. it's, it's dabda is the way I remember it. It's the no. monarch, <laughs> you know, dabda uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, mm-hmm. acceptance. Yeah, and the bargaining was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I as I called it a diet dial a deity kind of experience where I was <laughs> like, well, like, okay, I'll pray to God. And then if I don't get any results from that, I'm gonna, I'll, pray, I'll pray to Buddha. And then we'll right. see like, okay, I'll give it a half an hour and now <laughs> really? like, move on to the That's next funny. one. See who, see who picks up the phone. Right? Allah Akbar. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, okay, Satan, here we go. Yeah, like if there's right. a deal to be made, I'm ready. Uh, yeah. if, if you have to say, I'll never play the piano again, like, you know, get, like, get rid of this hand. Yeah. Uh, like, just get me out of here. Uh, and and then I totally reneged on that one. I I, I still enjoy dabbling at the piano. Oh, so. good, good. There's actually there's a I don't know if it's the same hand, but there's a concerto for one hand. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's, is that List or Mendelssohn? Is that, the 18th century? And it was the composer. I think his brother lost a, an arm in the war, mm-hmm. and he wrote it for his brother to play. Yeah, and then. Uh, uh, there were yeah various um, injuries sometimes from overuse or yeah uh, like from trauma um, even battle and war. Yeah. Uh, there's um, a composer named Scriabin who uh, did a nocturne uh, prelude and nocturne mm. is uh, I, I think some of the more beautiful of the works that are done for left hand uh, alone uh, yeah. uh, playing and um, it was uh, my piano teacher from back in high school who it first gave me that. Uh, um, that piece of music and I learned it and uh, for Mother's Day the, the year after um, the, my amputation uh, as a surprise for my mom I, I played it uh, in front of the congregation at her church oh and, my God. Um, it, you know, it was just listed as special music it was my dad's idea you know to make it a surprise and a secret and so what the point during the, the service is um, got through to that part and then I stood up and walked down to the, p- the piano and oh, I mean, I'm getting a little choked up about it but like yeah. my mom was in t- you know a I'll sobbing bet. mess and, and most of the congregation was too at that point too but um, yeah, how'd you was, get through Really? Yeah, it, um, but prob- probably the the yeah, I, I, by any measure the most meaningful uh, um, 
performance of music that I've ever done. Uh, yeah. And all, you know, the 20 years of piano lessons and everything, you know, they paid off in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's but, beautiful. Yeah. There's, you know, there's, there's those experiences as I, as I look back and, and it's the same thing. Like you might end up with, um, at some point, you know, our, our parents are getting to that age where, okay, yeah, we, yeah, we're blessed to still have them in our lives. And then, yeah, it's, it's time. And, and for those moments where you get to say goodbye, you get to have maybe that six months before the terminal diagnosis comes to pass that, that you, you can be grateful for that time. And so it's, it's in ways that, uh, yeah, there, there is sadness and there's loss. uh, And, and yet when I look at the overall picture and the experience of it, there are so many things along the way that I, I never would have had uh, had it not been for this, and would I trade back, you know, getting that that card from that grandma uh, that that this saved her life in order to have my hand, you know, in that theoretical hypothetical kind of scenario. Uh, no, I, 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 I yeah, it it's not reversible anyhow, yeah. and yeah. like it has only been for the greater good uh, right. in my life and for others that this has happened. Yeah. So I. Um, yeah, you know, I got to meet my <laughs> hero of uh, rock and roll, Trey Anastasio, the leader of Fish. I've seen about 150 fish shows over yeah. my time. You know, that's Especially how we know each we, other yeah. now, or you know, through Dave, yeah. uh, acquaintance at the you know down in the front of the the shows. And that's great. It, it's back in 2003. That was one of the cards that I got was that. Um, Trey wrote me a letter to to say that he'd heard about what had happened yeah. and that I was a fan and if uh, if I was feeling up to it, you know, bring some friends, let's get together and have dinner and, no, and you that's know, you cool, can, man. you know, see the sound check at our show that we're gonna do. And so there we are sitting and having dinner and he's asking questions and just uh, we're bantering back and forth and his his grandma who is still alive at the time is is there with one of my friends. Oh, so what what musical instrument do you play in the band you know talking to my friend brian who's not in the band <laughs> he's like lead guitar yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just trey's instrument like yeah, yeah. Yeah. he's a smart ass like that uh, and, and afterwards so you know we're we're laying there during the sound check and doing like you know snow angels on the floor <laughs> the film war in denver and having this great time like yeah, cool. Was it worth it? It was worth it. Yeah. 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 You know, backstage passes for a couple of years to the yeah. shows. And my friends, uh, they said, Aaron, if we'd known, we could have had this kind of experience. from it. We'd have held you down and cut your <laughs> arm off 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, were, were you right-handed uh, or are you right-handed? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what, so what was that like? dominance, yeah. Yeah, that must be a really interesting experience. I, I sometimes mm-hmm. think, like, you know, I sometimes make an effort to do things with my left hand just to train the brain a little bit. And... Um, but to yep. be forced to really go total, that must be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, always personally the greatest evidence of like the plasticity, plasticity of our brain, yeah. right? That, yeah. that we have this ability uh, to adapt. And yeah. that uh, certainly, I mean, in the beginning, it was learning how to write, uh, mm. to, to print, and then write cursive. Uh, and that I, uh, I mean, three months, four months time practice that, that I was able to, to get up to where I could I could take notes during a class like I did some wilderness medical training um, <laughs> a little late, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I meant to ask you if you had any medical training before this happened. Um, 
through search and rescue, I volunteered oh, okay. for uh, for several years um, leading up to 2003, uh, from when I lived in Albuquerque, starting in 1999, 2000, with the team there, and then in Aspen, mm-hmm. where I was living at the time. Uh, so I, I did have I had some rudimentary exposure, maybe a little more than the average person, but probably yeah. not as much as somebody who's a really astute you know, observer of like. Grey's Anatomy or House or you know, <laughs> what was the old one? The ER, right? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with George Clooney, yeah. young George Clooney. Uh, yeah, I was yesterday. Cassie and I were talking. She's a, a doctor and worked in Africa yeah. for years and has done all sorts of medical stuff. Um, and I, I said, "Do you think you could do that if you had to?" Mm. And she said, "Anyone could. Anyone. If you're forced with it, you do it." Mm. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? I, I do, and 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 I also think that we not all, to put you on the spot with my wife. No, I, I because well, I, I end up in a, um, I end up in the position of like people telling me I don't think I could do it. If that had yeah. been me, I'd, I'd I'd be dead. And I'm like, well, that's that's what you get to know. That is a, yet again one of those gifts of the boulder mm. is that you get to understand what you're really capable of. And my thesis is that it's a lot more than what we believe in ourselves to be capable of is right. that that's what we get to find out yeah i get to know that now today mm. in my life right and and i also understand the doubt yeah. where that comes from sure because that's this wondering of like am i enough and yeah. so we all we all deal with that yeah. uh, that I think we all would approach it in our own ways. Uh, that I was an engineer, so I came at it in this very linear problem-solving mm, kind of, which right. ultimately kind of boxed out some of the solutions that I that I I didn't. It wasn't that I had the answer and sat there for six days not wanting to do it. It was that I couldn't understand what the answer was, and it took me all the time to figure out the problem. Mm. Um, so, you know. I don't know an English major, uh, <laughs> you know, sociologist, uh, that yeah, kind they're kind of like yeah, the, yeah, you know, musician. Uh, I mean, we we would all go through that in our own way, um, but I think there's a lot more that's there for for every one of us. And I've I've had to say too, like, I, yeah, I can. I can't guarantee that you would survive, but I can say you would find out that you're capable of a lot more than what you mm. think of yourself. Right. Right. Did they, did you have any experiences with animals while you were there? Um, with with a, a raven, uh, actually, that it um, it flew overhead uh, about eight fifteen every morning. I mean, I say about. It was exactly eight fifteen every morning. I I suppose that it had a nest where the sun would come up and hit its nest at a certain uh, time, and right. then it would fly directly down the the canyon straight overhead. You know. And and so I would look up and see it go, uh, go over. So for as it was the Sunday morning, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, um, that it happened. And then uh, the the dawn of what was the the sixth day um, of being out there, uh, that it didn't fly, um, and I felt really abandoned. <laughs> that in in this. Accumulating evidence that, like, well, am I a brain in a vat, <laughs> or just, um, or is this real? Well, no. There's like, I'm not the only living being in the universe. There is that. There's that bird, and and then it was gone. And the connection that I felt with that left me 
in in a state of, of feeling like the uh, of disappointment and abandonment. Uh, but the way I came to see it later is within hours, then I solved the riddle, got myself free. Uh, I'm escaping the canyon. I repel a cliff. There's a pool of water at the base of this cliff that I, I was able to drink from and take three liters of water with me to, um, to sustain me on my, my escape. <laughs> uh, and as I get through all of this, a week later in the hospital, one of my friends has gone in and hiked up into the canyon, gotten to where I left my rope, my harness, all of my other unnecessary belongings at the base of this rappel at the side of this pool, and he collects them to bring them back. Um, and it, as he turns over this box of stuff in the hospital for me, he said, man, that, you drank from that pool of water? Didn't you see the dead raven floating in it? And just like that, your eyes just got big. My eyes got really big. And I was like, what? And he had no idea about the significance of that bird and what had happened, but it had perished. Uh, the next day after I got out, there was a flash flood that flooded through the canyon that swept that bird out from where it had been. Um, and it ended up in the pool, which is why that pool is there, because it becomes a, a temporary waterfall during these flash floods. And so it hadn't been there the day I was there. It was there a few days later. Um, so you would have drowned the next day? Uh, probably. I mean, if I'd even been alive still at that point, I probably yeah. I, I wouldn't have been alive, I think, by, by the next oh, day. But, um, the but so that that exchange, this... this um, I don't know. In a, in a way, I, I, I see like it left its life and I got mine. When uh, the whole time you're uh, thinking you're free and here I am trapped, you're going to survive. Unbelievable. Yeah, and, and it's not something, I mean, I did write about it, but it's not something that I, I talk about a lot because yeah. it's hard to, it's just one of those very vague things that I think you can ascribe some meaning and symbolism mm. to. And, yeah. uh, and yet, like I can't say definitively, so sure. it's uh, it's something that that I that I did experience, though, and yeah. that I still believe that there was some exchange there yeah. that happened. And um, yeah, wow, that's <laughs> so yes, an encounter with wildlife, yeah, yeah. And, um, but otherwise, like no snakes. Or, I mean, there's very little any any living things in the bottom of a canyon because of the, yeah. the fact that it does it get flooded, out, yeah. and so it's just not a sustainable habitat. Yeah. Um, How different do you think it, the whole experience would have been if you hadn't had the video camera? Mm, that's a, that's that's an interesting proposition. I uh, yeah, I, I I think it it. It was such a a support mechanism in a way. It, it it ended up becoming very important to me. The fact that I had this like five hour battery attached to it mm. uh, was uh, was significant because otherwise, I mean, I did run out of tape, uh, but that I could uh, I could go back and I could uh, yeah, being able to 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 leave those messages and say these things. I even kind of critiqued myself because I went back and watched it all through after I had filled up the tape. Um, oh, while you were still there. While I was still there. And so I'm seeing myself in the varying stages of degradation over the five days that, uh, oh, that led up to when I reviewed it. Uh, <laughs> and because of the delirium, I mean, I didn't sleep for you know, this 127 hours that I was there. 
that as that mounted, um, the the weight loss, uh, just the the mental mm. bleariness that that was uh, coming through. It, it was it was like watching a a film in a, in a sense but with a really bad actor <laughs> like, like come on let's, let's take this one from the top but like Where's this time James with Franco? feeling like yeah, let's you know? get a pro in here yeah it's, which is a very surreal experience of critiquing your own yeah uh, eulogy or, have you, know, you seen it sense. the tape since then yeah many times so it, mm-hmm. it it played a role not only while i was there but then afterwards to share that with my parents um the people who I had meant to, to to see it to get to sit down and um, to watch it together with some of my friends that yeah. I had spoken directly to on the on the tape and and have that experience of like I I wanted to say to you how grateful I was and how much I love you and now I get to not only you know sit mm. down and watch this together but also then turn and give you a hug at the end yeah I mean yeah. we went through a box of Kleenex with my oh, mom yeah. and me yeah. <laughs> um, were you, did you have a sort of openly loving relationship with your parents before? It was, I, it wasn't like we were estranged, but it was more the, the kind of distance that I'd created in my late adolescence and early adulthood mm. to say like, no, I'm an independent person. I'm going right. to stand on my own and I don't want you as involved in my yeah. life as, as what you have been up to this point. Right. So it's such that I, I, I kind of. I don't know. I say I was kind of a dick about it in ways that, like, there were several years where I didn't even want to have a phone in my apartment and in, in mm. the first homes that I lived in in my early twenties because I didn't want my mom to be able to call and just check on me. Like, yeah. like there was that was yeah. literally. So it's it's like it wasn't a cl- like a close relationship still, but it was still loving. I, yeah. My mom was the one who saved me in the end, yeah. and so it's. Um, it's it's a challenge too, and I'll and I'll say because I, and I I love my mom very profoundly, and yet we are in ways are like politically very different, mm. and it's a struggle for me to 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 understand her in in ways. Um, there's always like the the button pushing too that sure. she needs to do things her way, and I need to do my, things my way. So yeah. us working on a project together is yeah. Kind of, <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, did you watch good? It's did good. you watch the videos yeah. with James Franco? We did, yeah. We, as part of the filmmaking process, that uh, I shared those with the uh, the director Danny Boyle, some yeah. of the producers over uh, the years as we were getting the project pulled together, and then yeah, when it was when James was on board, we actually watched it together. Um, I'm remembering with um, Ryan Gosling was in consideration mm. for for the role as well, and so there was um, like during that time when they were, we were doing interviews and we were sitting and watching this and. Uh, and and it was informative for the the directors of photography because they had to recreate it in a, mm. in a way that and the 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 attention that to detail that they put into it was phenomenal. I mean, mm. yes, he's saying the same words, but also like they they actually used the same model of camera, used the tape, and then took that tape and turned it into the really? film. So they didn't even uh. have, they they put some of the digital kind of glitches that that come uh, from it into the film in the end. Um, yeah, so, but it's not available publicly. There's about a oh, 30 second or so um, clip at the very beginning, which I meant for like whoever finds this tape, please get it to my parents, Donna and Larry Ralston of Centennial, Colorado. I gave their address and their contact information so that you know 
assuming that I'm dead, but that the tape has somehow not been destroyed by a flash flood or what, uh, that it could make its way to them and that it would, um, it would then be maybe even played at like a wake. Uh, I, that was kind of, I envisioned like the AV cart coming in, you know, <laughs> <We> just, <laughs> it was kind of like what I thought would happen with it. Yeah. <laughs> but so my gathered yeah. loved ones could then hear from me yeah. as, uh, as, as a, a final chance to say goodbye. And, so it has also yeah. served over the years as as a reminder that it was real. Yeah. I mean, not not that I don't. I mean, I don't lack evidence like that, the, that it happened. But uh, it to say that it was something that uh, it, it has preserved the mindset that I was in during yeah. that time, uh, such that I can watch it and I can see there are times when I indeed I am smiling, mm. standing in my grave. Right. You didn't like rewrite I, the story. Right. Yeah, yeah. Is this that's, you know first person account <laughs> that it it was it was the truth that that I was yeah. feeling gratitude that that was what I was expressing, and that's that's been meaningful to be in touch with with the as it was a snapshot, but out of what it was at that time, and and then writing my book too was in, in a similar way that kind of snapshot over the following year of what I had experienced and. Uh, putting it down so that it captured my mindset during that time, and as I speak about it, you know, today creating these snapshots, the, my speaking presentations, it's it's evolved, but there are the themes that have that have remained. Uh, that again, from the beginning, I saw this as being one of the greatest experiences of my life. Not, I, I the trauma was there, and, yeah. but that it wasn't suffering. Yeah. Uh, the very first speech uh, I, I gave um, was at my middle school. <laughs> um, my sister introduced me. I was still like on an IV drip and <laughs> like, my arms in a sling. And, uh, but to, to share my experience with these like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth graders and some of the questions that, that they asked um, that, that still remind me of just how insightful young people can be that, yeah. that they, they aren't afraid to ask about um, about if uh, you know, didn't I didn't I wish at times that that I would have died, mm. or that uh, that how did uh, in my experience with depression um, before this um, when I was an adolescent, like how did that um, set me up to mm. to experience this in in the canyon? I, that that's that's my again my thesis is that as it's this not really inoculation process, but that there's some growth that we experience, the, the post-traumatic growth mindset rather than the post-traumatic um, stress or, you know, the, the, uh, yes, that is real and it, and it happens, but um, when we can find some um, governance or agency in, in it to make a choice about what are we going to do with it? Yeah. Are we going to let this um, trauma then become a tragedy or can we turn it and shape it and make it into a triumph? Yeah. And I've, I've been lucky enough to see that play out in my life, but also there's a lot of evidence out there that that's, that's what we do. Right. Um, it's how we make meaning and how we, we do process. Right. Yeah. 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 How do you write the story of your life? I mean, you've got the elements, but how are you going to put them together? Mm -hmm. Have you been back to the Canyon? Uh, many times. Yeah. As it is, um, I think 11 times over all the years. It's been a while now since uh, I haven't been back um, in the last five years. 
but uh, someday I, I hope that I will take my my kids there. It's pretty remote. Uh, Your bones aren't still stuck between no, the rocks. Right? <laughs> so the rescue teams uh, ended up spending about what, three days. Uh, eventually a crew of like 13 guys assisted by helicopters and they got one of those like NASCAR jacks under the, the boulder oh, and they really? set up a, a crank winch uh, uh, that with a, a cable and they did some carpentry in the canyon to to redirect the force so that they could unwedge the boulder and they it, 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 it was a it was a major project but they eventually oh my. <laughs> It, maybe we pause it for a second. My uh, air conditioner started leaking for some reason. Uh, we got interrupted by the uh, AC started dripping. Uh, <laughs> so um, we got a towel under it. Uh, you, you were talking about this, this this big effort with the jacks and the helicopters. Was that yeah. just to remove? Right, to get the, yeah, the, at that point, fairly decomposed remains of my hand back. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, that's the, the protocol. You don't leave human remains in the field so oh, really? that's uh, the effort that they went to but then the question was well so what do you want us to do with it like yeah and i okay well yeah you can have it cremated and then they they brought it to me in the hospital and it's like well here you go well, so, your hand, yeah. buddy. So, so i've got it on the mantle and no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> that was part of the closure that i went through yeah. was that a year um within the the following year it was actually six months after uh, the amputation itself and that, that first incident in the canyon, I went back to the canyon in October um, after having been there in May and it was uh, the, yeah, the the goodbye uh, mm. that I left the remains on the boulder. Uh, I, I distributed them and I had a little private ceremony there. I, I said a, a, a spontaneous prayer um, in, in appreciation of the places that I've come from and in the the, the intensity of this, this present moment and in anticipation of, of where I'm headed in, in my life, I, I just wanted to express my gratitude to the boulder and to the canyon for, for what it had given me. I, I did, um, uh, e even in that, um, in that moment, I, I, I sobbed for hours uh, being there. And, and yet it was tears of gratitude for, for it was the thank you experience for, for what I had, had received from that and to have my life and the, the appreciation for my life and the relationships in my life, that, that, that was what I was going through, um, that it, um, it, it was even in the moment when I, I had stepped out of that place the first time, um, back in May of, of 2003, having just amputated my arm, put the tourniquet on, sling my arm inside of my empty camel back with those straps around my, my neck so that it held my arm to my chest, just this rudimentary first aid. And that before I left, uh, in this exhilarating ecstasy of, of, of possibility in my life, uh, it, I got my camera out and I took a photo of the rock and the hand and the blood and it was, like good riddance hand I like trash and everyone seeing it I took the photo and as I pushed that button uh, on my camera I said thank you out loud to the boulder for mm. what it in, in that way what it had given me through mm. that that experience that so again the, this is um, that it's 
it's tangible that, that it's not some rewrite that, that yeah. it's, uh, it's not overlaying a story onto the experience, but that it was my experience there. Yeah. And I, uh, that's, that's how I, I don't blame anyone for experiencing the, the a loss, the, an adversity, a challenge and, and having any other response. But what I do aspire to do is, is to, uh, remind people that we do also have a choice to make uh, do we take this boulder and and receive it as a burden that's going to crush us or can we take that boulder and turn it into a blessing and i i think we do uh, have a greater ability to do that than than maybe what we imagine and so it's it's there uh we can you know, do with it what you can <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's this message that i have from from what i've been through uh, and again i'm i'm still an imperfect and fallible person who's just trying to do his best whose ac is leaking <laughs> yeah. yeah he's yeah. got one more house project for yeah. the summer list here yeah. <laughs> hey man thank you so much really yeah uh, likewise I, I appreciate it thank you very much for the opportunity all right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are again. I sure enjoyed that conversation. I really enjoyed meeting that dude, and um, so I hope you did as well. Aaron has a book. It's called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Of course it is. What else are you going to call a book about that kind of experience? Uh, I haven't read it, but it's very highly reviewed on Amazon, it's uh, four and a half stars. You can keep in touch with Aaron. Let's see. On Instagram, he is Captain Funhog. That's right, Captain Funhog. His uh, webpage is AaronRalstonAdventure.com. And on the Twitter machine, he is at RalstonSpeaks. Aaron's a motivational speaker. If you are a rich fucker with a company and you want someone to come and talk to your lame ass employees and tell them to stop complaining about all the bullshit that they have to deal with working for you at your company, you want them to get a reframing, look at life differently, stop whining. Uh, maybe Aaron Ralston's a good guy to invite to come and uh, give a rousing motivational talk for them all right that's it ladies and gentlemen thank you for all your support thank you for being nice to each other and you are you're so fucking cool you're uh even these these conversations on reddit which is a place known for its lack of kindness um i see the way you guys resolve disagreements it's super cool i really appreciate it and uh i'm very proud to be part of this community little grain of sand and you're the pearl forming around it so thank you for that this as always is the great carsey blanton singing smoke alarm a version she recorded just for us i should probably i forget sometimes to uh to thank basin and range for the music i play at the beginning of the podcast basin and range uh is a band based in in portland basinandrange.bandcamp.com you can hear more of their music that uh, snippet is taken from a tune called uh, Bright Side is it Bright Side of the Sun or Dark Side of the Moon Bright Side of the Sun I think it is sorry it's written on the wall which is away from the microphone which is why I keep wandering off uh, basinandrange 
www.bandcamp.com. Check them out. All right, Carsey Blanton, Smoke Alarm, ladies and gentlemen, Carpy fucking DM while you still can. Here's to you, Bennett and Justin. Thanks, everybody. Bye. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation It's a big deal If you wanna be free Say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground